like everybody to take out your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. And the handout you were given as you came in, the sermon notes are on the back. They're also available on our app. So good to have all of you that are watching online, other countries, welcome. Never since the Civil War has our country been more divided. The election, COVID, mask, and racial issues. Is there a solution? Is it a real one? Is it a lasting one? Is there a solution that doesn't just treat this cancer with a band-aid, but actually go in and do radical surgery? I submit to you there is, and it's found in Ephesians 2. We are going to go verse by verse through this entire chapter. I will treat it exegetically first, then I will give you the two points from this chapter, then I will give you seven reasons why the gospel is the ultimate solution, and then I'll give you seven practical pointers. You think, are we going to be here till three in the afternoon? No. Lord willing, there'll even be time for Q&A. So you are going to witness a sermon miracle. Father, we pray that you would anoint your word now. Thank you that it does provide the answers to every problem in the world today. This didn't catch you by surprise. This grieves your heart. And you want to raise up within your body an army of those who go into the battle with love and with your word and with your spirit. And so God, I'm believing you today through this message and through those listening in this room and online I really believe you're going to raise up some freedom warriors, love warriors, reconciling warriors. God, I would even pray that there would be some that would come forth from this message that would have an impact nationally, internationally. Could it be that you might raise up, even this morning, the next William Wilberforce, MLK Jr., Frederick Douglass, and others? I believe you can, and I ask that you would, in Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 2, I'll be going verse by verse in ESV. It's a little loud up here to me, John. Uh, Jason, please. I think the monitors. Thank you. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. We were all before Christ dead in our trespasses and sins. We weren't just at the top of the water struggling, trying to reach hard for the life jacket to get saved. We were dead at the bottom of the ocean. Jesus swam down, pulled us up, breathed life into us, we were dead, unable to resurrect ourselves, all by His grace that we came to that awareness. In which you once walked, it's always good for you to, to go back to where you came from. Even if you didn't uh, sin outwardly in the ways that's described here, many of you did. But if you didn't, you're just as guilty because what sin is thought, word, deed, things left undone, things done. But we once walked, he's reminding them from whence they've come. His first chapter was all about their identity in Christ. And he said, whoa, 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 before you can really appreciate who you are, you need to know who you weren't or who you were. <laughs> You're not that now, but you were that. The good news needs to be compared to how bad the bad news is. So it's almost like Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit, chapter 1, telling them who they are in Christ, all these riches they have. And then, whoa, 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 time out. Before you get too excited about that, to really help you appreciate that, let me, let me take you back to where you were, you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that's the demonic realm. Colossians 1 says when you get saved, you're transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. We were all demon-possessed before we were saved. That doesn't mean you're hanging from the chandelier, foaming at the mouth, kind of demon-possessed, but you were owned in the real meaning of possessed. You were owned by Satan. Right? That's what it says. That's the camp you were in. You were in the demonic realm, owned by the evil one. 
the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience. When there's disobedience, there's always a spirit behind it. It's not just something that you explain in the flesh. There's human explanations, but there are demonic underlying, underpinnings. The evil one is the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan is the author of sin. Demons are the one that blind the minds of unbelievers that they not see the light of the glory of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So you got the world, the flesh, and the devil right here in, in these first three verses. We did what we wanted, didn't we? We were, we were enslaved to our passions before we were saved. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. See, beloved, everybody is not a child of God. Everybody's created in the image of God. But you don't become a child of God until you get saved. Before that, you're by nature a child of wrath. Deserving of the judgment of God for your sin. God is holy. He must judge sin. So we are by nature... Our sin nature, born into sin, we are children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. (laughs) This covers everybody. No one's excluded. And then verse 4. But God. We have a but God in this passage that deals with our reconciliation with God. And then later we're going to have a but God that deals with our reconciliation with each other. This chapter is about the vertical and the horizontal, just like the cross. He comes to reconcile us to himself, and he comes to radically affect our relationships with each other. If your relationships with others are not affected by this, what you call a relationship here, then you need to reevaluate whether you really have this relationship here. Say, where's that in the Bible? First John, you claim you love God, but you don't love your neighbor? You are in deceit. That's what it says. So we're by this, now we go to the The reconciliation with God. But God, aren't you glad for the buts in the Bible? But God, being rich in mercy. He's not poor in mercy. He doesn't just have a little bit of mercy in his bank account. He is rich in mercy. He's got enough mercy for every need we have. He's got enough mercy for every sin we commit. He's got enough mercy for every trespass we partake of. He's rich in mercy. And it's because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. In other words, he didn't make us get our act together and then I'll love you and then I'll save you. You know, I'll meet you halfway. No. When we were dead, when we were a child of wrath, when we had committed deeds that, 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 that fulfilled the passions of our flesh, when we followed the ways of the world... He was rich in mercy, and He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. This is the good news of the gospel, beloved. He made us alive together with Christ. We didn't rescue ourselves. We didn't reach out for the life jacket. About to drown and reached out for the life jacket. That's not a biblical view of salvation. You're dead at the bottom of the ocean. He rescues you. He breathes life. He made you alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Not of your works, not of your religion, not trying hard. So many people today believe good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell. That is a demonic theology. Only saved people go to heaven. Everybody deserves hell outside of his grace. By grace you've been saved. And so he not only forgave you and saved you, rescued you from sin, rescued you from hell, he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You have a new position. We were praying before the service, and I said, guys, this is spiritual warfare as you rehearse today. And I said, the Bible says that, 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 that Jesus is far above all demonic realms. That's Ephesians 1. And, and then it says, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So that means Satan's underneath our feet. Romans says he will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. You and I in Christ have authority over the powers of darkness. Not power over Satan, authority over Satan. Claim your position. Believe who you are. Who you are is who you are in Christ. Your ultimate identity is not the color of your skin. It's who you are in Jesus. 
That's your ultimate identity, beloved. So you're seated with Him in the heavenly places in Christ so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace. See, God wants to show others through you and me the riches of His grace. The grace we've received, we would give unto others. The kindness we've received, we'd give unto others. The love we've received, we would give unto others. The forgiveness we've received, we would give unto others. It's in the, that in the coming ages, God wants to show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us. And He does it through His body. He does it through signs and wonders. He does it through creation. He does it through music. He does it through a lot of ways. But we are His workmanship. We're about to get to that. Verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So we do play a part. It's called faith. Faith just means to believe in, to trust in, to receive the gift. That's all we do. We, we repent and we receive. We put our trust in Christ alone. And when you do, you're born again. Have you done that? Have you received Christ? This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. If somebody gives you a gift, it's paid for, it's wrapped. You don't have to do something For it to be yours, that would be earned. Instead, you receive it. You just receive the gift. Salvation is a gift from God. It's not a result, verse 9, of works. You can do all the religious things in the world. You can do all benevolent kindness to others. You can have this list of do's and don'ts and, and try to obey them perfectly. It'll never be enough. It's not by works that you're saved. So that anyone could boast. See, if you could earn your way to God, then you could boast about it. See, God, I deserve this. You owe me, God. I deserve heaven because look at all these things I've done. And you, you know, you have your big list. No, it doesn't work that way. Verse 10, does that mean then we get saved and we just live however we want? It doesn't matter. You know, I'm saved. I'm forgiven, man. I can go live like the devil. It doesn't matter because I got my ticket to heaven. I punched the, I punched the clock. I punched the, the deal and I'm in. No, verse 10. This is why expository preaching is so important. Verse by verse. Understanding verses in their context. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. This is after you're saved. The Greek word there is poemo, poemo, from which we get a poem. You are God's poem. He's writing his script through you. You're his poem. You're his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus. For what? Goof off. Be lazy. Live how you want? No, for good works. Good works don't save you, but if you're saved, you'll do good works. Come on. Book of James. Faith without works is dead. Got a lot of people in this country that claim to be Christians, but they live like the devil. Their life shows no difference on the weekends. Hello. Come on. Friday night, Saturday night. Who was it? Jimmy Buffett? There's a fine line between Sunday morning and Saturday night. Wasn't that Buffett, honey? My wife's in the back. She's a Buffett fan. (laughs) Created in Christ Jesus for good works. If you're truly saved, your life will change. Do you become perfect overnight? No, there's this slow process called sanctification. But if you're not seeing changes, if you're not seeing a difference in how you treat other people, you need to biblically question whether you're truly born again. Because when the Spirit of God comes to reside in you, He begins to produce changes. And if you sin, and if you have pride, and if you have racism, and if you have greed, and if you have sexual immorality in your life, He will convict you. I was talking to a young man yesterday who was feeling called to be a pastor, and he says, one of the things that I'm seeing a big change in my life right now, Pastor David, is is I can't get away with sin like I used to. And I said, that's a good thing. He goes, it just, it's like, if I start slipping, man, it's like, I just get convicted, and I'm not as fulfilled in sin like I used to. I said, that's a good thing. That's the Spirit of God working in you. And then he said the joy that he's now receiving in obedience and abiding. That's what God wants for you. He wants the obedience to be a joyful experience. And so we're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God, listen to this, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is awesome. God's sovereignty, He already has good works for you to walk in. They're already laid out. Your job and my job is to abide and walk in the power of the Spirit that we might walk in those good works that He's laid out. 
Some of you, he may have some good works laid out for you that has to do with this very topic. Being an agent of reconciliation. Being an agent of greater racial unity. Being an agent of of help and healing in this area. That's a good work that's laid out. And as you get more truth and as you follow the Spirit more carefully, as you listen to the Lord, you get to walk in those good works that he's prepared for you. What a privilege. What a privilege. I don't want to miss out on anything God has for me. I don't want to get to heaven and God say, look at all these things that that I would have done in, in, in you and through you had you just abided more. I don't think he would do that, but I'm just using that as an illustration. I want to walk in all that he has for me. Beloved, times are too desperate. Life is too short to waste it on trivial things. So that is all about reconciliation with God. So point number one from this passage is this. Sin and not skin is what separates us from God. It's important to note that what separates us from God has nothing to do with our skin, has nothing to do with our works, has nothing to do with our our anything that we're born into because we're all born into sin. What separates us is sin, and Jesus dealt with that at the cross. Now, verse 11, we're going to get into this more horizontal aspect of salvation. So the first is individual salvation. Verse 11 and following is corporate salvation. How salvation affects our relationships with one another. And to give you the background before we go into verse 11, there was not friendly um, relationships when this was written between Jews and Gentiles. Gentiles were people who were born non-Jewish. And there was a lot of strife between those two racial camps. It was more from the Jews because they felt superior to the Gentiles because they were the chosen people of God. And they had the sign of the covenant called circumcision. And so they looked down on the Gentiles and they were often called uncircumcised. We all come up with terms, don't we, to demean others. We love terms that will make ourselves look better and others look worse. Those Gator fans, whatever it is. You know, I mean, this goes across a lot of realms, <laughs> not just this racial topic, but, but in many realms, you know, those that political party, you know, we loved, listen, we love to demonize those we don't agree with. That hasn't been happening in our country, has it? Not at all. I'm just using that hypothetically. You know, those other countries overseas, they do this, not America. I'm being facetious. So they, they had these terms. But folks, this is not a new problem. But the solution's the same. And so they, they had these divisions. The Samaritans, those were half-breeds. That was somebody born from a Jew and a Gentile. And the Samaritans were really regarded as, mm. and you, know, you didn't even walk through Samaria. Remember when Jesus, this woman of Samaria, he intentionally walked through Samaria so that the disciples would be confronted with their racism. He brought them headlong with their prejudice and pride, thinking they were better than the Samaritans. So they wanted to go around Samaria, because that's what most good Jews did. And he goes, uh-uh, uh-uh, we're going through Samaria, and I'm going to model for you relational connection with somebody that you think you're better than. Verse 11, Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh... Now, really here, he's, he's, he's addressing the Gentiles more than the Jews. He wanted the Gentiles to know they're not inferior. He wanted the Gentiles to know that, that because of who you are in Christ, get away from viewing yourselves as uncircumcised. Quit being a victim and start realizing who you are in Jesus. That's what he's really addressing, one of the things he's addressing here. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So he's like, look, I know that Jews have called you this. I know that they've looked down on you, but I want to help you see that you are new in Christ by what is called the uncircumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. This is just a fleshly thing. Look beyond that. Verse 12. Remember that you are at that time separated from Christ. So let's go back to the spirit. What, what was true of you in the spirit? Get, let's go to the, the real identity. Your real identity was that you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope and without God in the world. That was what was true of you spiritually. Even though Jews called you uncircumcised, you were still separated from God, sinful, just like they were. (laughs) They didn't get saved because they were born a Jew. 
They had certain advantages because they had the law and they had the prophets and all that. But they were no different than you in the spirit. In the flesh, they had some advantages. Just like somebody raised in a church today has some advantages, but that doesn't, make, make, that doesn't guarantee they're going to get saved. Because we're all sinful. We're all separated from God. Sin, not skins, what separates us from God. And then here's the other but. But now. <laughs> the first but now had to do with us getting saved individually. Now it's a but now, and it's going to affect our relationship with one another. It's the, it's the horizontal piece. But now in Christ Jesus. You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Gentile, realize you're brought near now. For he himself is our peace. See, God gives peace with us and God. Jesus gives peace with us and God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God, Romans 5.1. But he also gives peace here. He, he, can, he can work to transform human relationships. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. There it is. That's corporate salvation. That's the horizontal piece. Gentile, you're no different than these people in Christ. You're one. You're brothers and sisters. All grounds level at the cross. All colors red at the cross. All people equal at the cross. All people in Christ will go to the same eternal home called heaven. So it'd be good if we learn to get along here because we're going to be with each other forever and ever. He made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. That word hostility means enemies, two people at odds for various reasons. Isn't there a wall? Now, the first wall that he explains is the wall that separates us from God. And we think we can break it down by obeying the law? No. Then he's going to, talk, then he's going to use hostility again. And that's the hostility between us and our neighbor because we think we're better because we're this, that, or the other. So verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. So he breaks down the wall of the law of commandments thinking we can, oh, if I just obey the laws and I'll get to God. No, he breaks that wall down because he brings us to himself through the blood of Jesus. And because of that, we have a new identity we are one new man in place of the two. So he's saying, look, you're not Jew and Gentile in Christ. You're children of God. Galatians 3, there's neither male nor female. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. You're one in Jesus if you're saved. If you're born again, you're in the same family. Robert Sikandi, yes, he's Ugandan, and I love his Ugandanness. And I'm not saying we be colorblind. God's not colorblind. He sees that color. It's beautiful. But he's ultimately not a Ugandan who happens to be a Christian. He's a Christian who happens to be Ugandan. <laughs> and the better I know my brother, and the better I know his ethnicity, the better I know his country. And when I go to his country every year, I appreciate it even more. But that's not what the ultimate issue is. When I go to the glorious church of Christ in, in Uganda, they are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And you begin to worship together and grow together and minister together. And it comes to a point, it's like, you don't even see that stuff anymore. Because other stuff is far more important. Verse 16. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing. I love this. Strong language. Killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far, who were near. I'm sorry. Peace to you who were far off, Gentiles. And peace to you who were near, Jews. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We have the same Father, the same Savior, the same Holy Spirit. So then, you're no longer strangers and aliens. Get your identity from who you are in Jesus. But you're fellow citizens with the saints. And you're members of the household of God. You're built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The second point is this. The gospel of Jesus addresses sin and skin. <laughs> it addresses sin by removing it so we're reconciled to God. 
but it also addresses skin because it says we're one in Christ and there's a new family that you're a part of and I want you to see people the way I do. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, I see no man according to the flesh. See them as who they are in the Spirit. If they're lost, have compassion for their lostness. If they're saved, we're in the same family. All right, here's seven reasons why the gospel of Jesus is the ultimate solution to this issue. Number one, it changes the heart. We're not talking about a Band-Aid. We're not talking about just educate people more. There's a place for all that. The answer's not in greater and better laws and who's on the Supreme Court and who serves in the White The answer is a heart change. We need a heart change. That's what this chapter addresses. And only the gospel gives a heart change. In Jeremiah 31, it says, I put a new spirit in you, a new heart. And he changes us from the inside out. This is why John Newton could go from owning a slave ship to getting radically saved, writing the hymn Amazing Grace, and becoming an abolitionist and a companion of William Wilberforce. Only the gospel can do that, folks. Only the gospel can change John Newton into a new man, and he can change you and me into new creations. Number two, it gives us a new identity. Our identity is not ultimately our human ethnicity, as important as it is, and God does not ignore that. But our divine identity is in Jesus. The gospel gives us a new way of looking at ourselves and others. Many people get off gospel-centeredness when they put more stock in their identity as a white person or black person or Hispanic person than they do in their identity in Christ and being a child of God. Number three, it empowers forgiveness in both directions. It empowers forgiveness vertically, you and I being forgiven of all of our trespasses. And it also empowers forgiveness horizontally, and I'll deal with that a little more in the practical section. Number four, it provides the power of the Holy Spirit for action. In other words, the Spirit of God comes in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. Philippians 4.13 says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's the Spirit of God, the power of the Holy Spirit that comes inside of a person and motivates them to take action. Now, we don't all have the same ministry passions. I'm going to talk about that Tuesday night with our leaders. There's this thing called ministry passion tunnel vision that a lot of people fall into. They have a passion for a certain ministry. And if other people don't have the equal passion for that ministry, they begin to look down on them or think they're less spiritual. Be careful, be careful, be careful. This is why the hand should not say to the knee, I have no need of you, etc., etc. People have different passions. Not everybody's called to take the same action on certain social issues as everyone. God calls some to do more radical things in in helping change society in this area, that area, or whatever area. Whether it's abortion, whether it's racism, whether it's uh, criminal justice, you know, whether it's foreign missions, international students, there's a lot of important ministries. We're not all called to, to, to be equally involved in all of those ministries. So hand, don't say to the ear, I have no need of you. It's the Spirit of God who moves. But beloved, this is what's cool about history. And I love history. It has been Spirit-filled Christians that have been the most helpful in bringing about constructive societal change in this country and others. It was people like Frederick Douglass, a man who knew Jesus. People like William Wilberforce, who loved Jesus. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who loved Jesus and was a preacher and quoted Scripture all the time. It's the, the Holy Spirit provides the power for action. And I recently read uh, Frederick Douglass's autobiography, and one of the things that I appreciated about it, I'm going to quote you one thing he said. Because so many people of his day could have been, I mean, he was in the midst of slavery, folks. And he could have been so turned off by how, and this is another part of history that's so important, the white church used Scripture to justify slavery. It is one of the greatest sins of the church of Jesus Christ historically that Christians actually went to Scriptures and misinterpreted them and used them to keep people under slavery. That could have so turned off a guy like Frederick Douglass that he would have said, you know what, there's so much hypocrisy in the church, I'm out of here, I'm going to find another solution. Listen to what he said. I love the pure, peaceable, and impartial Christianity of Christ. 
I therefore hate the corrupt, slave-holding, woman-whipping, cradle-plundering, partial, hypocritical Christianity of this land. That was the heart of God. We're to love what God loves and hate what God hates. And he was saying, I hate this part of Christianity because it's hypocritical. But I love the true version of Christianity. I'm going to go there. How do you respond? Do you allow hypocrisy in the church to keep you from embracing the true Jesus? How many times have we witnessed to somebody and they go, oh man, I don't want to have anything to do with Christianity because there's so much hypocrisy in the church. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Number five, the gospel forms a united yet diverse church. I would submit to you that there is no other group on the planet that has greater diversity and yet deeper unity than the church of Jesus Christ. The ultimate church, the church universal, is composed of people of every tribe, nation, tongue, and people, Revelation 5. And yet what unifies this church is Jesus and only Jesus. And for the church local like this one, this unity amidst diversity should be the case in terms of our goal and what we see fleshed out in our communities. And so look, look at this quote. The more the local church, that's, that's like living hope, looks like the universal church, the more God gets glory and the greater impact we can have on our culture. That's an original quote. I want all the credit for it. <laughs> I really believe this. Think about it. Look at this carefully. The more the local church, and I, I realize there's limits based on geography. I mean, I pastored a church in Wisconsin. It was 98% white. So, I mean, there's a lot of limitations on how diverse that church can get. And I'm not just talking race here. I'm talking economic status. I'm talking gender. I'm talking denominational backgrounds, all of that. that. That all is part of diversity. I love the fact that when I come up to people and say, hey, what kind of church are you from? And Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, non-denominational, this, that. I love that. I love that. That's part of our diversity. So the more the local church looks like the universal church, unity amidst diversity, and unity on the right things, that's Jesus, the more God gets glory and the greater impact we have on our culture. Number six, the gospel offers hope amidst darkness. Folks, no matter how dark the darkness gets, there's always hope with the gospel. <laughs> there's always hope. Number seven, it's all about love. And the greatest of these is faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is God's love for us motivates our love for others. Christians should be the most loving people on the planet. All right, let me give you some practical pointers. Number one, remain gospel-centered. Those who look to other solutions and move away from the gospel get frustrated and it doesn't produce lasting change. Look to God and His Word and the cross. Here's where true lasting answers come from. Don't divert from this. If you do, you'll create an Ishmael in the flesh instead of the Isaac of the Spirit. Because Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. remained gospel-centered and always brought it back to Jesus and nonviolence and love, that's why he saw such victory and lasting fruit versus Malcolm X and others who were not centered on the gospel of Jesus. Be careful the voices you listen to. Be careful the messages you receive on this topic. Lots of worldly approaches to this that are not biblical. Be careful what and how you read stuff. Reminds me of the man who took a business trip from Minnesota to Florida. He was going a day earlier than his wife, and he wanted to send her an email to say that he had arrived, that all was well. But he sent it to the wrong email address. To a woman who had just lost her husband and just returned from his funeral. She pulls up her email and reads this. My dear wife, I want you to know I've arrived safely. And I expect you here tomorrow. Sure is hot down here. Some of you need me to tell you that joke again. <laughs> Listening to the wrong messages or misinterpreting messages can have fatal consequences. Number two, grow in personal sanctification. We all are growing and maturing in our walk with God. We need to give each other grace here. We need to grow in our personal sanctification. We need to pray, search me, O God, and know my heart. 
God, if there's any even little seeds of racism, any little seeds of prejudice, any seeds of superiority or inferiority, if I'm viewing myself as inferior because of things I've been spoken to, God, just I want to repent of that and believe the truth. So this goes on all fronts. I've confessed to you that I have a growing edge in my life and how I look at certain people of a different religion. I read a book once that was true, but it, it just it made me view this group more um, suspiciously. And I've had to grow through that. Still am. This week I was meeting with an African-American woman and I loved this was really profound. I said, if we, somehow we were talking. I said, by the way, have you ever seen the movie Just Mercy? She said, I can't watch movies like that. She said, I've just learned that when I watch a movie like that, then it makes me look at white people a certain way for at least a couple weeks, if not longer. And so I've just, I've just said, you know, for me right now, I can't, I can't look at those. I thought, wow, my respect for you just went through the roof because you're mature enough to see that that will, make, well, that will be a setback for you and not a progress for you. Whereas certain movies we need to see, even if they're hard to watch, because it gives us a greater understanding of history or what a certain group is going through. But for her, it was, man, it was just refreshing to me to hear that. Number three, grow in racial awareness. Again, we don't all have to say, have the same passions, and, but these are some books that I've read over just the last year or so. Um, American History in Black and White, Through the Storm, Through the Night, A History of African American Christianity, Fire in a Cane Break. This is about the lynching that occurred in a, just in Oconee County, the last known lynching in America. Woo, I couldn't read it. I, could, I, had, I had to quit reading. A Manifesto, Christian America's Contract with Minorities. And, you know, some of these, there's parts you don't agree with. That's fine. The Color of Compromise, The New Jim Crow. Reading While Black, Ben Carson, One Nation, and then this Frederick Douglass one. So growing in our understanding and our racial awareness. Number four, realize this is a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities and powers of darkness. So how do you fight that battle? We just sang about it. Worship, praise putting on the armor, prayer. Satan is the enemy, not that other person. <laughs> and we need to remember that. This is a spiritual battle. Number five, be relationally intentional. One of the best things we can all do to grow in this area is develop relationships with a group or a race or a religion that's different that you struggle with because then you'll grow in your understanding through that other person. This is probably the most practical thing any of us could do, is just becoming more intentional to engage in conversation. Jonathan and I's relationship helps me here. It's already helped me since he's come on board here. There was one, I'm not going to say what it was, there was something we were going to do in a service a few weeks ago, and it just never crossed my mind how that could be taken. And he said, Pastor David, uh, you know, for African Americans right now, with all this going on, that, that might hurt in this way. And I, then, boom, we'll scratch it. We're not going to do it. See, that's iron sharpening iron. And what I love about my relationship with Jonathan, isn't it cool, Jonathan and David? That's kind of cool, isn't it? Yeah. Um, is that I don't have to tiptoe around him. I don't have to, oh, I'm, I'm not going to say anything because I might say the wrong thing. Why? Because we have a relationship of love and respect. If I say the wrong thing, he'll tell me, and I want to be told. <laughs> And so it's so graceful because, again, I don't have to, you know, wonder about this. He, he'll call me out. I've given him permission. Please, if I say something wrong or insensitive, I want to know. I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> so if I don't know, help me know what I don't know so I can correct what I don't know so I don't do it again. Did you get all that? Number six, <laughs> forgive those who sin against you. Folks, we're all going to be sinned against and hurt. Just put this topic aside. No matter, just life. I've had three things happen to me in the last two weeks. That if I had let it get into my spirit, I'm not trying to get your pity today or anything like that. Seriously, this is why a lot of people don't last long in ministry. They are things that if I had let them get 
in my spirit, it had been very, you know what, I'm just sick of this pastoring stuff. I mean, there's a lot, of, I'm telling you, if, if you're going to last for the long haul in ministry for God, I'm not just talking pastor, I'm just ministry, serving the kingdom. This principle, you will have to come back to over and over and over again because people will hurt you, Christians and non-Christians. And if you allow that bitterness to get in your spirit, it will absolutely ruin you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Do the biblical thing. Ephesians 4.32, forgive as you've been forgiven. Body slam it at the cross. <laughs> I'm going to take that thing that that person said that was just ridiculous. Are you kidding me? I'm in a deer stand and I get this message from you and you completely mistook and you're now acute. Okay, I just got a body slam. This is yesterday. Or no, it was Friday, right, honey? You're the only one that saw it. I took that thing and I had to just body slam it at the cross. <laughs> Lord, you deal with them. I'm going to give an answer. I feel like I need to. Sometimes you don't. I believe I was supposed to. And then I'm done. I'm done with it. If it goes any further, Shannon, you and the elders are going to hear about it. Because I'll just let them deal with it. Because that's, that's the job of the elders, right? All right, number seven, follow the way of love. I know the world. I know the word love can be a cliche. But it really is at the core of our discussion today. It's the number one command by Jesus. Love God. Love your neighbor. And love is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Oh God, would you give us love for people? Would you give us true love? Where we would see people as you do. All right, let's take a few questions. And we're going to continue this next week. So if we could bring up the, the text number. And then also, Lisa, if you would, the, the, the slide with the text number. But then go back to my email because... Some of you might want to email me a question this week that we will address next week. Because next week, it's going to be Jonathan and David having a conversation about this. We're going to do our conversations worth having. So we'll take a couple today, but keep them coming. Keep them coming. So we will have plenty to deal with. I mean, we got a list. How many is it? we got about 10 right now that we're planning to deal with. But uh, you, might, you might submit one that will trump one of the others. Oh, I shouldn't have used that word. Uh, sorry, that was not a political statement. I, it's, it's, a different, it's a different use of Trump. <laughs> All right. Good to laugh, isn't it? We can laugh. Laughter's good medicine. All right. I have a question right here. All right. Ooh, okay. okay. Hey, um, could you speak a little bit on kind of the place, uh, the, the role of, Lamentation and repentance. Uh, I think a lot of times, uh, Bethany Bethany's testimony kind of re reminded me of this when she said the rain came and it reminded her that God God was meeting her in that moment. I think um, people I've talked to have been like, yeah, like we're all reconciled, like Jew and Gentile, like we're all one. That that sometimes can be taken as kind of devaluing mm. the lived experience of others. Yeah. So could you just touch on that? No, that's good. I mean, it's be all things to all people. And I think part of being all things to all people is identifying with the pain that, a, that another person has gone through. That's incarnational living. Jesus took on, our took on flesh to identify with us. So I think incarnational ministry is when you do everything you can in the power of the Holy Spirit to identify. So maybe I haven't been sexually abused, but... I want to be able to identify with that person I'm ministering to in the pain of their sexual abuse. Maybe I haven't been the victim of whatever, the sin, whether it's racism or whatever, but I want to identify. And I think this relational, being intentionally, being relationally intentional is one of the greatest ways to do that because it's so helpful to say, tell me your story. Tell me what you've been through. Tell me how you have dealt with this topic. You know, maybe it's a person... Maybe, let's just, I, I get off race for a second. Let's just say a Muslim after 9-11. Because many Muslims after 9-11, well, Chinese students right now, right? They're living in great fear because they think that we are going to hold against them the COVID virus. And so there's a lot of Chinese international students that are just like living in great fear. And so if you have a relationship with the Chinese, then you can say, what's this like for you right now? How are you experiencing fear because of COVID? That's incarnational. 
That's repentance and lamentation and trying to identify with whatever group is hurting. It's weeping, it's rejoicing with those who rejoice, and it's weeping with those who weep. Charmaine? He has to hold it. Yeah. Then he makes sure it's close and all that. Actually, it's not a question, but it's in support of the, to- the topic of racism and differentiation that the pastor was speaking. You know, I thought about, I read, I think it's in Ezekiel, correct me, um, where it talks about the word picture of the stately city of Je- um, Lebanon. And it talks about the birds of the air flocking into the foliage of that tree. And it became a lofty tree on the top of the mountains. Now, you know, I think it would be a very sad thing to reach to God after you live your life on earth to want to prove to him why racism exists, why, um, apart from racism, why certain differences exist. Also, he asks us not to defend ourselves because he'll give us strength and protect us from the evil ones. You know, all these things. So when we, do, if we are true Christians, we're really supposed to be submissive to him and subdued and be obedient. And if we take those stands, I think as much as we are weak and in error because we're human, we are also going to be strengthened by him to overcome all the obstacles and if we look into ourselves, I urge you to please let us look into ourselves so that all these big issues, which are really a waste of time, that we could use that energy into fulfilling God's agenda more. It should not be about, God is, doesn't care about Republicans and Democrats when you get to heaven. He's right. not asking about that. Yep. So what is it that you're um, bringing about? He's going to yeah. ask you what you did with Jesus. That's good. Did Thank Jesus you. separate? Do you think Jesus is talking about Chinese? What about if God, when we appear, he's black, blue, yellow, red, pink? Which color or which part of him would you choose? <laughs> I don't know, but Thank that's you. a lot of energy. Thank you. And you know, when we see something in another that concerns us, first thing we ought to do is pray. Because the Holy Spirit who has to ultimately convict them. I mean, he may use us. We may be called to confront or say, brother, I see this in your life. It concerns me. There's, there's that. That's iron sharpening iron. But ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit who has to change a person. Let's take one more. Right here. Any get texted in? You more on a comment or something you just said, talking about taking something to the cross and body slamming. Or last week, I let a person borrow some money, and they said they were gonna pay me Friday. Here your son. Won't answer the phone. I'll go over there and beat on the door. No answer. No answer. No answer. And uh, I talked to him yesterday, and they told me some lie. I'm gonna pay you today. The day hadn't got here. And you know, I told the person, I said, you know, I really need my money because my pocket low. And you know, I'm wondering how I'm going to do this, how I'm going to do this. But God I've been making a way, and I just, I'm going to go by there when I leave church. And if I don't get my money today, I'm going to just kind of let it go, I guess. Mm. And if I get it, fine. If I don't, fine. That's a great attitude. Um, I, I have a message, seven biblical principles of finance. And one of them is never loan money unless you're willing to give. Because if they don't pay back, it's going to be a barrier relationally. So only loan if you're willing to give, so that if it doesn't come back, you're okay with that. Oh yeah. Yeah, it's hard. Oh yeah. It's hard. Yeah. So God, we pray that you'd convict that person to pay it back, and if they don't, give this brother the grace to just um, walk in freedom and trust you to provide. So if anybody feels led to give him some money today, do it. Maybe that's the way you're going to get it back. I don't know. I'm just, the Lord might prompt somebody today. All right, we, let's take, uh, did you have one on the text? All right, so that'll be the last one. Worship team, go ahead and come on up. Jeff, if you'd come up, because I want to lead us in a little bit of a, a prayer time before we go into the final song. Oh, we need the mic. Y'all pray for Jimmy's shoulder. It's been a slow recovery, and he's had some sleepless nights. Several. Uh, yeah, thank you for that. 
where does our sensitivity to others end? It seems we are watering down the word with grace, but not holding them accountable to truth. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, truth and grace. Um, it's hard to answer that without the context, without knowing the situation at hand. So feel free to email me the situation at hand so I'll have more background. But yeah, it's not just greasy grace. It's not just grace where we don't hold each other accountable. I mean, King was a great example of this where he, he talked about, you know, they, they, the protest during the civil rights movements was to bring attention to injustice. So he did it nonviolently, which was grace. And, and, but, but yet, you know, like the, 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 the sit-ins and things like that was to confront tr- the injustices and bring truth to bear. So this is that beautiful biblical balance we should all pursue in any relationship or any issue, truth and grace. If it's all truth, no grace, it'll be harsh. If it's all grace, no truth, it probably won't get to the root issue. And aren't we glad the gospel is a gospel of truth and grace? God, had, God gave a lot of, there's a lot of truth here that was hard to hear today, wasn't it? Man, I'm a child of wrath, dead in my trespasses and sins, I'm demon-possessed if I'm unsaved, but it's true, and God loves us enough to give us truth, and yet the but God, the grace, the love, the mercy, the forgiveness. So let's go to prayer. And I just want to open the altar right now. I believe some of you may want to just come to the front here and just begin to pray and seek the Lord. Some of you may need to get born again. Just receive Christ right now. Say, Lord, come into my life. I've been trusting in my works. I've been trusting in my religion. And I see today, finally, it's like I see it. It's grace. All I do is receive the gift, and I want to receive that. You may want to receive Christ right now. You may want to just intercede for our nation and all that's going on. You may want to just humbly come to the altar this morning and say, God, search me and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lord, if there's some seeds of prejudice or pride or superiority, would you root that out? If there's seeds of inferiority, (laughs) would you root that out? Help me to see myself the way you do. Maybe you've been hurt. You've been sinned against and you need to forgive. Prayer team, if you would go ahead and be available on the sides and corner of the stage, if anybody wants to come to you for prayer, just let the Holy Spirit guide you now how you pray. Come to the front if you need to. Just show seriousness to God. and Not in a hurry. Church, let's pray. Let's seek God. Let's really bring this before Him. Feel free to go to somebody on the prayer team if you need to. Come to the front. Ask the Lord to show you what from today's message He most has for you. Not someone else, for you.